You know how you always hit these um, different stages in life, and we move so fast today that we rarely take time to stop and sort of pause and reflect on what's transpired, where we stand, and what still lays before. Some of you in this room are thinking about transitioning to the next season of life. You will be walking across this stage collecting a diploma. And one of my favorite statistics to share on a campus visit day with incoming students is what I read in an article a couple years back that over 50% of the jobs that all of you will hold have not yet been invented yet. So good luck with that. I'm transitioning in my own season of life right now. I, I've come to realize that I'm actually just on the other side of a midlife crisis. And it's starting to disappear in the rearview mirror, but I can tell that I'm just on the other side of a midlife crisis because I realize that a midlife crisis is the point that you hit in life where you realize that according to the anticipated life expectancy of the average American, I am actually now have less of my life left probably to live than that which I've already lived. And I've come to the realization that I still have no idea who I want to be and what I want to do when I grow up. But I can tell I'm on the other side of a midlife crisis because I can't believe how many meetings I walk into a Dort with fellow staff and faculty and look around and realize, whoa, I'm the oldest person in the room. Maybe I should grow up. And I was reflecting on that a lot this week because it was almost 25 years ago when I got to walk across this stage. And I had no idea what lay ahead. You guys, there's so many things that we just absolutely do not know, cannot plan for, could never even fathom. When me and my six roommates were living in East Campus for three years, if you told me that one day only four people would live in those apartments, I would never believe you. If you were to tell me, Aaron, there's going to be a day when you come back to Dort and the hockey team will not have any longer a smoking and a non-smoking Dort van on the way to practice. But in fact, they will actually have a perfect chapel attendance record. I would never have believed you. If you told me after my freshman year somewhere else, after getting kicked out of a Christian college, that one day God would be so gracious... is to allow me to come back and help lead spiritual formation on a Christian campus. I would have never believed you. When I did walk across the stage and uh, got graduated, I got married the next, very next day. It was a busy weekend. <laughs> and every time I go back and I look at pictures like this, I think to myself, who in their right mind let these kids get married? See, at every stage of life, you don't know what you don't know about what's yet to come. So it's really hard to prepare and plan. And I realize that in stages all across this country, in different secular schools, there'll be humanistic messages given about the world that lies in front of you. And you just grit your teeth hard enough. And if you kick down the doors that stand in front of you, you can create your own future. But I got good news for you, friends. Your father's been pleased to give you a kingdom. You won't even have to fight for it. It's already been done. So all I wanted to do would share with you this morning is five things I wish that I knew when I was 22. And no, I'm not going to play anything from Taylor Swift. I don't feel like 22. 
He's a lot older than that. But I remember. Number one, look at everything through the eyes of faith. There is such a unique perspective that you get as a follower of Jesus walking into this world that gets to change the posture of your entire being for each and every situation that you will encounter. I want to show you what it looks like when we enter the world and impossibilities it seems like at times in front of us when we look at them through the eyes of faith. I'm going to go back to this story from the Old Testament. When the Israelites were in the wilderness and then they pulled 12 guys together to go into the promised land and scope it all out. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them in the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devoured those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anna come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. When this story gets done, ten of the people who were sent in as spies into the country we never hear from again in, in the biblical story. But two of them? who had a different perspective and saw the future through the eyes of faith because they stood on the promises of God, saw a very different future. They saw a different land. When you look through the eyes of faith at the future in front of you or in any moment you are encountering, you have the ability to see it from heaven's perspective. And the promises that God has spoken over your life are yes and amen. Now, they finally get into the promised land. Oh, sorry, we're going to keep going. Yeah, we're in chapter 14 now in Numbers. That night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? Only to let us fall by the sword. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and we'll give it to him. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. 
Now, I'm not reading this passage today to set you up for some sort of cultural war that lies in front of you, but simply to reflect on the ability that the two men who believed and stood on the promises of God were able to see a very different future than those who didn't. And that it's the privilege and the place of honor and strength that you get to move forward into. Because we never know what's coming. None of us could have imagined when we came back here this semester that Emma Nibblink wouldn't be joining us. That our life would be gone. And a dentist one day when he was told me about when he was going to retire, he woke up and he died the next morning. The very first day of his retirement. He had waited so long and saved up so much money. And he never got to see it. All of his plans. It's often said God makes, or man makes plans. And God laughs. But when you see everything through the eyes of faith, it just simply looks different. You guys, 45 years later, after they went into the promise, or as they're entering the promised land from when those spies went out, Caleb was then 85 years old. And as they stand there, he still believed in the promises because he had set his life on a trajectory that was set on the promises of God and not the belief in his own strength. And so at 85 years old, Caleb says to Joshua as they go into the land, give me the big guys, the huge army up on top in the hard places to fight because I'm just as strong now as I was back then. Do you literally think at 85 he was as strong as he was at 40? No way. But the same promises of God that carried him at 40 were still carrying him at 85. And so the future for him was something different than for people who didn't have faith. Have eyes of faith. To be able to see the world differently than everybody else around you. And you will not be afraid. Number two, God's greatest desire for your life is not that it would be easy, but that you would be his. Jesus himself told us this in John 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. If you would have told me when I walked across the stage 25 years ago that two of my roommates were, would be dead before 40 years old, I would have never believed you. And it happened. Lots of hard things happen. Jesus prepared us very honestly, telling us that to follow me doesn't mean you walk into a rose garden and you'll have experienced the path of least resistance for the rest of your life because that's what it means to be a Christian. No, in fact, sometimes God will even lead his people into storms and into difficult times. God might actually be the one who directs you into those. Why? Because he loves you so much that he cannot leave you the same. And here's what you need to know about the hard stuff that will come in life. The first time that somebody you love hears the words that they have cancer. The first time there's an economic downturn and some of you lose your jobs and the future seems uncertain. When somebody breaks your heart, when you experience some limitation in body, in mind, and you can't predict the future anymore, not nearly as well as you once thought you could, if we don't go into those moments understanding that God is there, we sang that song a couple weeks ago and the lines keep rolling through my head, I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. That's a prayer to say in each of those moments. 
I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done, and I'm claiming that. I'm standing back on that place again and again and again. And if you do not, and 20 years of pastoral counseling have taught me this, that if we don't embrace those moments as still possibilities where God is working and orchestrating a resurrection in our lives, we will experience an emotional and a spiritual stunting that will leave us in that place. An entire generation of Israelites failed to comprehend or imagine what it would be like to enter into a promised land. And so that generation died in the desert because it could not imagine anything because slavery was so built into them. When you are in hard times, you have to be able to understand that God is at work. That he works in the waiting. And you'll have seasons of life that feel like they sit sometime between Friday and and Sunday, but there can be no resurrection without a crucifixion, and sometimes that's how it happens in our life too. But you will not be forsaken. You are not forsaken. Jesus wasn't kidding when he hung on a cross and said, it is finished. You get to live in the reality of what has already been done. Even when things around you swirl and don't look like it, Come back to the promises. Come back to the people of God. Come back to the church. Come back to what you know. And remind yourself and tell your friends. The world may look topsy-turvy in front of us right now. But he will hold me fast. And he always has. He will for you too. Number three. Your greatest joy will always come inside of somebody else's. You were wired to serve other people. There is an exact, particular, practical reason why the first step of discipleship, according to Jesus, is deny yourself. Because when you set aside your own ambitions and when you look for joy in other people's dreams and in those all around you, you begin to share at an ever-increasing rate the kingdom of God as God designed it to be. And guess what? Your greatest happiness is not dependent upon whether or not you get a lake house in life. Your greatest and most deepest seated joys will come when you realize that you exist for others. That you exist to serve the world. Oh, and guess what? When you pour yourself out, the multiplication that happens only within the kingdom of God can happen in those environments and in that soil. Your greatest joy will come when you find it in somebody else's eyes. For those of you who are called to get married, wake up every day and die to yourself for the other person and you will realize that is what you were created for. What if God's greatest design for your life is that one day you would have a kid who would go on to do something in the kingdom of God and your one thing that God's asking you to steward is just to take care of that kid. I've told you this so many times and it's still supposed to sound like good news, you guys. You're not that big of a deal. Jesus is a huge deal, but you're not that big of a deal. And that's supposed to be incredibly freeing. Because after you walk across this stage, it's act two. And the stage is cleared and a new set is built and new characters come on the scene, but the protagonist doesn't change. And guess what? It's not you. It's never been you. You get to come alongside of him. And the best news about that is he's stronger. He's smarter. He's better. He's good. He's more loving than you could ever be. So let him have that place in your life. And then you get to experience the benefit of it. It's when I'm playing a video game. 
playing chell, NHL hockey. And I get to be Gretzky. I get to be somebody so much better than I am. That's what life is when we get to live it in Christ. I get to celebrate the victories that he won. Number four, if you're going to climb a ladder in life, head downward. We are participants in an upside-down kingdom. This is how it says in Luke 9. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. And he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Now I know the world's going to tell you all the things you're supposed to accomplish and climb. And next year you're supposed to be wealthier than you are this year. And next year you're supposed to be more accomplished. And you're supposed to be closer to all the goals you're setting for yourself. But please don't let those goals merely be the goals of the world. Your goal is not to become prouder as life goes on. It's to become more humble. It's not to accumulate more letters behind your name. Or more dollars in your net worth. It's to make heaven more crowded. And that happens best when we're moving downward. The best thing about the kingdom of God and its social mobility is it throws the rules of the world upside down. By serving others, by getting more excited about their joys and their accomplishments, by chasing after the things of God and not the things of this world, surprise, you will find your greatest happiness. If you're going to climb a ladder in life, head downward. Number five, we'll close with this. What you're really here for, what you're really here for, if you're looking for a mission statement in life, you're just called to make Jesus more famous. I hear all this talk, people try to motivate one another. What will you be known for? What will your legacy be? You don't need a legacy. Jesus already made one. It's his. To you be the glory. Came to a college that wrote on its stained glass, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. It's for him. I'll close with this passage. And I'll just read it to you. But what if this wasn't tomorrow or 50 years from now, but what if it was today? When the Son of Man comes in his glory, Jesus said, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne in all the nations. Everybody. will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. So then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? 
And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. According to Jesus, you're going to meet a lot of Jesuses in this world. He's going to show up in a lot of places and the opportunities will be abundant before you. And if between today and the day that they bury you in the ground, if somebody experienced the beauty of the kingdom of God because the fruit of the Spirit more than the sins of the flesh were evident in your life, well done, good and faithful servant. If you had a neighbor beside you whose life was falling apart, but you came alongside of them and you said and you spoke to them, this is what the Lord has done for me. And you shared about the beauty of God. And why you too are one more beggar searching for a meal. And it blesses their life. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. These are the ambitions of us, of the people of God. In a world turned upside down with eyes of faith that look for opportunities in downward mobility for the glory of God. May that be your story. All of us. So that heaven truly is more crowded because of what you've done and who you are.